Hello, listeners, and welcome to episode 217 of the Spoiler Alert Podcast, brought to you, as always, by MovieOutsiders.com. This is Mike. I'm here with Danny, and tonight the best picture choosing machine has spit out the fourth <laughs> film to win the Academy Award for Best Picture from 1931, the Western Cimarron, based on the novel by Edna Ferber. Danny, how are you doing tonight? Mike, I almost couldn't be doing any better. How about you? I'm doing excellent. Excellent. I'm excited to talk about this one with you. This is this is dipping back there. It is dipping back there. Important to note that the first Academy Awards had two Best Picture winners. Correct. So it's the fourth Best Picture winner, but it's really the third Academy Awards, or however you want to talk about that. Um, but I, I was really interested to learn that this movie, again, we don't fact check, so who knows. This movie was nominated for seven Academy Awards. In fact, it was nominated for every uh, category in which it possibly could have been nominated. Oh, interesting. There were only nine, nine total Oscars. categories right. back in 1931. One of them was for original screenplay, one for adapted. This was adapted, so... Couldn't be for original. Got it. Yeah, Exactly. And one was for, I think it was for sound, and it was given to the studio. Yes. So it really wasn't given the to the movie. Best sound recording. Got it. Yeah. So the film itself wasn't eligible. RKO Studios was. They were they was. were nominated, yeah. Yep. Okay. But the picture wasn't. So of the seven it was eligible for, it was nominated for all seven, and it won three. Right. Three Academy Awards. So that's kind of interesting. So like the studio wasn't necessarily nominated for best sound recording for this film. It could have been for no. ten movies that year or Right. Okay. All right. right. That's an that's unique. What, that is that, unique. That, that's kind of. I'm glad they did away with whatever the hell that idea was. For sure, and you know, I was. I've been really uh, reminded this week in that uh, the Dark Knight, the Christopher Nolan's Batman picture from 2008, turns 10 this week. Oh wow! And there have been a number of uh, articles written in Variety and the Hollywood Reporter and other places about 10 years later, what's the lasting impact of the Dark Knight, not only on Christopher Nolan's career on comic book movies in general, but even specifically on the Academy. And it was just really interesting. I mean, I'm sure we all remember back in 2008 how there was a lot of expectation around this movie. It was nominated. Dark Knight was nominated for eight Academy Awards. Uh, that was the year that I believe Slumdog Millionaire won. Okay. But Dark Knight did not get nominated for Best Picture. It was nominated for mostly below-the-line craft uh, categories. Although Heath Ledger did win a posthumous Oscar for Best Supporting Correct. Actor for his yep. portrayal of the Joker. And that was the year that there was such backlash over this very popular film that was really well made that the next year, the next two years, if you remember, there were 10 Best Picture nominees. Yep. And then there was backlash about that. And then it became this weird mix of between five and nine and the Academy sort of equivocates about how many Best Picture nominees there's even <laughs> right. going to be in a given right. year. So it's interesting, you know, when you look back at some of these early, these early awards, and we've obviously done 40 or almost 50 Best Picture winners on the show. You know, there really have been these weird changes over time where it's, you know, Best Costumes in Color and Best Costumes in Black and White. Yes, and they used to do some years cin- separate color black and white cinematography. There were, like, yeah. s- different scores for comedies or musicals versus dramas. Yeah, there was one year where there was like 20 nominees for best score. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's just bonkers sometimes. But to go back and say there were only nine total awards and the studio is only eligible for one, that's a trip. And at this 
at this particular uh, juncture, this is the fourth Academy Awards ceremony. Uh, there were five out uh, nominees for outstanding production. They called it back right. Then, that's what they call it. Yeah, five nominees. Uh, reading through the list here, I recognize no other films None. that were nominated yeah. for any Academy Award that year in any category. So uh, I guess, you know, back then it was a different time. They did a banquet. We've talked about this in the past. The nominees, I and I think the winners were already pre-announced leading up to the ceremony. Right. Posted in the newspaper. Just right. a party was... at that point. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, nothing, nothing else stands out to me here. So I suppose we just... Dig on into Cimarron. Does that sound like a good idea? For sure. Why don't you give us a, a plot sure. recap? At the tightest, if, if you could, if, if if you could make the plot recap super detailed, I couldn't understand half of what people were saying in this movie. So a lot of it went sure. over my head. Sure. Well, at the tightest level, again, this is an adaptation of the novel Cimarron, and it spans more than forty years. And concerns the main character's name is Yancey Cravat, which for most of us, a cravat is a fancy French tie. So his name is Yancey Fancy Tie. And he is treated like the most manly man that has ever roamed the world. And the film really uh, discusses really the opening of the Oklahoma Territory back in 1889 through 1929. And the sort of evolution of that wild territory, the formerly Native American territory, uh, this wild country also called Cimarron, um, and and its sort of evolution into the state of Oklahoma and more of a, a member of the, the uh, United States and uh, a more civilized, quote-unquote, uh, state in which people reside. Yeah. So that's what the movie's about. Yeah. We also may consider this movie... A study on American racism in okay. film, manifest destiny, and the perils of undiagnosed mental illness. <laughs> okay. And All right. that's so it's some heavy. Best heavy picture stuff. from 1931, yeah. <laughs> Cimarron. What'd you think of Yancey Fancy Tie and Cimarron? Um you know, I didn't I didn't like it too much. This one we were a little apprehensive going into it. I felt that it was the push I expected it to be. Yeah. It was not the pleasant surprise that awaited me with All Quiet on the Western Front, which I also went into with a little bit of trepidation. I think for for every All Quiet on the Western Front, there's going to be four Broadway melodies of 1929. And despite the different subject matter, this one was in that milieu for me. How about you? I actually am thrilled that I saw this movie. Just <laughs> well, like good. you, yeah, just like you, I was dreading it. Just, I mean, I, well, so again, a couple episodes ago, someone asked, Do you dread the old best pictures? I said, No, of course I don't dread the best pictures. And then Cimarron came up, and I thought, <laughs> I really dread this movie. And I've been just hating the yeah, idea of watching watch it for it, weeks. Yeah. yeah. And I sat down to watch it, and I thought, Oh my God, this is one of the most entertaining movies I've ever seen. I am. So thankful that I had to watch it for the podcast. And I couldn't be a more full-throated advocate that everyone who has the opportunity should see, see this movie. Yes. <laughs> Rent it on Amazon. Sit down with a bowl of popcorn and just, and just enjoy it. It is cray-cray. 
it's funny that you mentioned uh, renting it on Amazon because just to add insult to injury, I bought it off of eBay new uh, for like $10 on DVD, came shrink-wrapped, and it won't play in my DVD player. It keeps giving me some error that it like the disc isn't finalized, so I'm 90% suspicious that this is like a pirated movie that somebody effed up and sent to me. So I had to pay for it double to stream it on Amazon and watch it. But I'm I'm going to wholeheartedly agree with your your desire that people watch this just for the strictly ridiculous entertainment value. This movie had me hooked a minute in when they're doing yeah. the opening credits and they are ridiculous. The opening actor title <laughs> yes. cards. It's it's sort of like one of those football games that's broadcast on ESPN when they're announcing the starting lineups of the players and they, you know, say something to the camera or flex or do something really ridiculous. Right. right. Every character in the film, and I think there's eighty, gets their like ten <laughs> seconds on screen right. to, to do make some sort of weird face or glance off screen. And and I started laughing right then and there. Like one minute in, I'm laughing. I, I don't know anything about this film, and I'm dying. For sure. But especially when you saw Isaiah, the African-American boy, who's shining shoes in his little intro, and you thought, oh, no. <laughs> this is trouble. This, this is going to go bad places. Yep. Yeah. And you were not wrong. I have exactly the same as little title cards. In fact, the guy who plays Yancey Cravat, who was nominated for Best Picture or Best Actor, right. is so insane. And his eye makeup, I mean, this is clearly a holdover from like silent films. Right. Like, his eye makeup his, needs his acting, to define his, his makeup, face. Everything yeah, about yeah. him. He is either a theater actor or a silent movie star. And to see him here, even in that like five second silent clip, I laughed out loud and thought, <laughs> oh boy, this is the star of the movie. I mean, this is a kind of movie. And I'll get to – the, listeners, there are legitimately some very impressive, cool things about this movie I'll talk about. But broadly, I thought this movie plays like a funnier die sketch that if Will yeah, Ferrell yeah, and John yeah. C. Riley did, you would be on the ground laughing. Right. And you would not believe – they're like there's no way they can sustain this for two hours. <laughs> and yet somehow they sustained it for a full – the full two hours. Full two hours. Shortly after the opening title credits, the opening big scene of the movie – is the most crazy pants five minute scene in film I've ever witnessed. It's it's like the Oklahoma land grab where yeah. where U.S. marshals you know shoot off a gun and this is the white man's opportunity to rush into Oklahoma and claim whatever land they want to settle yep. on, and it is five minutes of redonkulous. You've got horses going just bad insane you've got a guy riding by on a giant bicycle with a the huge bicycle, front yes. tire the, bicycle, the old you've, timey giant you've bicycle got, you've got a dad driving a car like punching his kids in the back seat because yes. they're getting all insane like i totally expected that the next thing was going to be like a dude riding an elephant or like a, yes. a, a clown car driving by or something like it's just every it was, scene in this movie affords you that opportunity <laughs> to think I bet they're going to top it in the next scene. You, like, you know that something absolutely crazy is going to happen next. Yes, Every yes. scene is... But yes, and in fact, that movie, that scene is one of the ones I thought I was really impressed by. Again, this is 1931. I mean, this is... This is a long time ago. This is This is almost 90 years ago. We're watching this, and I'm expecting uh, a really weak sort of... Um, 
you know, this is the Oklahoma land grab. They're right. going to have a couple of horses. They're going to have a couple of, uh, of you know, carriages or, or, or coaches. And there are thousands of extras. Yeah. This is a it's massive epic scope, scene. For sure. It is epic. Yeah. yeah. I was stunned, just like I was in All Quiet on the Western Front. They're like, holy crap. The amount of effort and detail that went into the scene was staggering. I was so impressed. I laughed out loud multiple times. I did write out. In fact, I drew a little picture of the dude on the bike. <laughs> Because it's so insane that amongst all these wild horses, I mean, that guy wasn't just trampled. I can't imagine riding one of those old-timey bikes as easy, but let alone over uneven ground with a thousand wild stallions bustling past you. This guy must have been crapping his pants the entire time. It was, I mean, whether in real life or the actor, the actor must have been like, oh, my God. Uh, so I just was loving it. I thought, oh, my God, like this movie is going to be this good. And really from there on, it's yeah. it's a little less impressive. But let me just also say um, there's a city set. So there's the land grab in Oklahoma. Um, this town gets established. It sort of springs up overnight from all these settlers and these sort of prospectors and, and, and people hoping for, for riches in the newfound uh, frontier. And – we see over the 40 years of the story, I mean, it, it crops up. It starts the town as like a tent city, yeah. right? When Yancey Fancy Pants and his wife and son and, 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 their, and Isaiah, their, their houseboy, roll into town, it's like a bunch of tents. It's, right. it's like six weeks in. And over the years, you see it evolve into uh, sort of your classic frontier western town, clabbered, you know, wood-sided buildings. And by the end, it's you know it's stone buildings, it's it's brick buildings, it's ten stories. There's a there's a trolley car that goes by, and I was legitimately impressed. Like, wow, this this is a pretty impressive mock-up of this civilization sure. and how it's evolved. Again, this is almost ninety years ago. I was pretty impressed. I don't know what you thought about that. I wasn't joking before when I said I couldn't understand half of what they were saying. I wish that. Is as impressive as the scenery, the cinematography, the set direction, art direction, set decoration was, that they could have done something with the audio, at least in the restoration, because I really did struggle to understand a lot of the dialogue. It was yeah. it was yeah, grainy, it was kind of washed out. They're all talking in weird accents to begin with. It was it was a struggle to kind of stay on top of what the story was. And for that yeah. reason, I, it made it a little bit more of a push. So I watched it on a plane, and I did put the subtitles on right away. Oh, okay. All and right. so I did enjoy it. And Amazon, if you're watching it, if you're streaming it, it really, they really do a good job with the subtitles. And uh, I, I think it's worth watching because, again, the dialogue is sort of bananas. <laughs> And not only what they're saying, but there are title cards. We've talked about the funny opening scene, Yancey Cravat being introduced, Isaiah, where you're thinking, oh, boy. There's also a character named The Kid who looks like he's almost 50 years old. <laughs> then there are some opening title cards. And the first few are told in, like, fragment sandwich sam- uh, sentences where they're almost like um, stream of consciousness. Mm, yeah. But it's, like, sentence, half sentence, dot, 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 half a sentence – I said these opening cards are almost like – and not to get political, but it's almost like someone is tweeting, is asking Trump <laughs> to remember a book that someone described to him based on its review in Playboy. <laughs> like it could have been like 
like he's just remembering like a fragment or two and I was like how is this helpful like you've got a title card I'm already reading just give me the other two words that make this a complete sentence or a complete thought it was so so it's like insane getting, it's like the studio is getting charged by the word up there word, right like up. whoever's printing it right. oh my gosh um I did write although I am uh Although I'm really impressed with this opening sequence, I'm sick of watching and hearing it. So it went on a long time, and that 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 audio recording for which the studio was nominated for an Academy Award, there's a lot of just dudes shrieking and shooting howling? guns in the yes. air. Yeah. <laughs> and a bunch of like thundering horses going by. I thought, this is like a long sequence where this is what I am being asked to listen to. Especially in headphones. I was like... My ears were tired right. after five yeah. minutes. Like, I almost you, needed you to, to all take a quick break. Right. A little. Yeah. What's up with that? What's up with that? What's up with that? What's up with that? What's up with that scene, though? Because we even get the title card in advance of it that says, you know, basically it's just thousands of settlers waiting for the noon gun to go off to announce, go claim your land. And they show, like, this U.S. Marshal looking at his watch, and it's clearly got, like, 30, 35 seconds to go until noon. And yeah. he goes, okay, and just shoots the gun. It's like, it's yeah. just like... I'm not waiting here anymore. Let's he couldn't wait. He was get, too excited. Get right. going. Get going. Right. Yeah. Well, and you know, I wrote seven minutes into this movie and I'm checking how much is left. <laughs> right. Like I was already like, oh boy. You know, like this is a two hour movie and at seven minutes, I'm like, how much of this is left? Well, that's While a, I was impressed with that opening scene. It was an like, opening scene and then it got, it got quiet. It was, it it got was weird. a quiet movie for a while. Let me just say, if there's any best picture winner... That we could somehow appeal to Leslie Jones to live tweet as she watches. This is the movie. Uh, listeners, I have more than a dozen pages of notes on this movie. There's no way we'll be able to go through them all. There's no way we'll get through all the what's up withs or things that are insane about this movie. Just know that it is absolutely crazy. It is cray cray. And I couldn't, I couldn't advocate strongly enough that you sit and watch it. Do it with friends, watch it with a couple of beers, or like take a shot every time someone thinks everyone does something that you think is insane. And then and then wait. Like you think, okay, I took someone did something insane, I'm gonna take a drink. The next time someone does something insane, take a break. <laughs> because something's gonna immediately happen where you're gonna take another drink. Like you'll die within 30 minutes. It is so much fun. I loved this movie, but can you imagine Leslie Jones watching this movie? I mean, within like the, by the eighth minute during the land grab scene, a woman rolls up on on Yancey Fancy Pants. She her horse breaks its legs because she just drives her horse right into a ravine. She asks him to please shoot my horse. <laughs> Which he, he does. kindly does. He kindly just pulls out a gun and shoots a horse. Right. Meanwhile, she jumps on his horse, rides on, and steals his land. I was like, oh, my gosh. I would shoot her in the back. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. Yeah, Leslie Jones is having none of this. Let me just also, right away, within 10 minutes of this movie, people, the most holy crap moment <laughs> I think I've ever seen on film. There's, after the sequence, they go back to Wichita, Kansas, <laughs> and Yancey and his in-laws are having lunch. And they're at this long banquet table, long lunch table in a dining room, and everyone's talking. And at one point, the lady of the house just says, Isaiah, get back to Fannin. 
and the camera pans up and I kid you not, there's like a trough suspended in midair over the table in which an African-American kid is just laying with like a giant feather. Fanning and he is the fanning the table. He is a ceiling fan. I thought this is the most crazy thing I have ever seen anyone ask another human to do. And it's a black kid. And this does not portend well for the story or the family and it does not from here on out, people. It gets worse. I could, and I, I couldn't help but think to myself, how awkward must it be to be sitting at that table while somebody is fanning you from above? Like, don't you feel weird talking down there, sitting at the right. table while somebody from above is fanning you? I, it's like Caligula yeah. back in Roman times, <laughs> right? Or something, right, right. Somebody feeding you grapes and fanning you. <laughs> Uh, what's up with Yancey, who apparently does is like the only person who lives in this town. It's full of people, right. but he does every job. Right, what, every job. When when he suddenly becomes the preacher and he's preaching in that tent for the first time, behind him on the wall is there a picture of a naked woman? Is that what I'm seeing in that scene? Is oh, there a picture of a, a naked woman lying on a bed in that scene? I don't know, but he does murder a man during his one-town sermon, as well as blackmail the entire town into contributing into the coffers for the church organ. Right, right. He, he threatens to he kick him out of church. Unless, no, he murders a man. And then he murders him. He, he, he doubles down on his extortion. Um, yeah, people, seriously, every scene you're going to laugh out loud. But But the biggest issue I have with this film, other than... The absolute insane racism, whether it's um, African-Americans, whether it's um, the anti-Semitism against the Jewish characters, Saul Levy, or against Native Americans, it is shocking and pervasive. This is 1931. It's definitely a time capsule of the american sentiment at the time yeah you probably can't so, like air this on amc no, right like this no, can't be on no television way. there's no way but be but beyond the insane racism the horrible acting and writing and plot i mean i would love someday to read the book that this is based upon because the character of yancey fancy pants he right away he's a frontiersman who may or may not have been an outlaw who is the newspaper editor in Wichita who wants to go to Oklahoma and start a newspaper. He's also a lawyer. When he gets to town, he's basically a vigilante and or the sheriff who's out solving crimes. He, get asked, he gets asked to be the preacher. At one point, he's like the district attorney who's representing a hooker. And he and keeps, he keeps leaving a, for years at a time, too. And he's welcoming back when he comes back. He just gets like manifest destiny is like, toots, I got to leave and just disappears for like five to 20 years at a time. And his wife is like, well, he's just out of town. It could not be any weirder. It is so insane. It, 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 like it wouldn't have shocked me. Again, I was thinking if he comes in in the next sequence wearing like a World War One pilot, <laughs> like the white scarf, like suddenly he's like, I just flew in the from God Germany. I'd be like, it. okay. If he came in with like, with like an astronaut helmet on, I'd be like, I guess this fits. I actually wrote he's going to be governor. And in the movie, he runs for governor. <laughs> he runs for governor. At some point, if someone just said, you're right, Mr. President, I just – I would have been gone with it because it was so – Weird. It was so outside of the norm. And you've never seen a movie anywhere where this character, he shows up in a new Frontiers town that's only been in, been in existence for six weeks. Everybody knows And him. literally 
everyone knows who he is. Everybody. It's cat calls when he's going down the street and hey us. Yeah, hey, Yancey. Yeah. Old Yancey's here and all the guys sing songs. So he goes over. It, like you've never seen a movie where any character is this well known. It is shocking and really unsettling as an audience member because they all know him and you don't. So you're like, why do they know him? And they never really address it. It is bonkers. I think undoubtedly my favorite scene is one that you just referenced where he comes back from one of his several sabbaticals. And as he arrives into town, he realizes that the local prostitute is on trial and likely going to be sentenced for being not a prostitute, but a public nuisance, nuisance, a public nuisance. And despite the fact that his wife, whom he's still married to, is totally in favor of this going down... He becomes the most defensive person in the world, immediately goes down to the courtroom to represent her, given that he's a lawyer. The prosecutor is going on like this woman is a serial killer of toddlers. Like, he is losing <laughs> right. his freaking mind. I don't know what right. being a public nuisance means, but, but it's apparently the worst thing that you can ever be. Right. Then, then Yancey's defense argument begins just insulting the lawyer. Like, instead of talking about her at all, he, he just begins to insult the prosecution. Mocks, mocks the him lawyer, at right, how he looks. Yeah. Then he starts quoting Jesus. This guy just got into town five minutes ago. He hasn't seen this woman in five years. He's defending her like she's his own sister. It honestly made To Kill a Mockingbird look like perhaps the least important courtroom trial in U.S. history. Like, this is the be-all, end-all of justice it was it was bonkers and and what on earth was he thinking doing this against his wife's wishes he's been gone for five years he comes in gives her a kiss and then runs off to defend the prostitute like he's never gonna have sex again (laughs) well there's that but he also comes in and sees his own children whom he hasn't seen in five years he says about four words to each of them including his older son he offers to buy him a pony (laughs) and then it's like they are like, well, we better get off of school. See ya, dad. Like, no one's weirded out by this. And then again, he runs down to become the, the, the lawyer. And then, you're right, he insults the lawyer. Like, he outright calls him like a fat slob. <laughs> the lawyer objects and the lawyer and the the judge says overruled. Overrules <laughs> overruled, you are a fat slob. Like, I, I don't mean, like it was you either. Hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. It's like everyone deserves legal due process, including this prostitute, except all the guys I shot earlier in the movie, <laughs> including a bunch of dudes I shot in the street and like a black kid who died in my arms. None of them deserved any legal due process, but this this prostitute really deserves and it. He, and he did take good care to make a notch on his gun holster every time he killed somebody too. What is like, up with that? And, and then he like counts them. Like, like you can't really remember that you right. killed five people. Like you've killed five people who's so non-memorable that you need to count the notches on He's your gun. He's gonna tap it with his, yeah. his little <laughs> file. What's up with the water salesman who asks someone, "What can I do for you?" All this guy sells is water, and someone shows up with a jug, and he says, "What can I do for you?" How about, how about some water? <laughs> what uh, can What can you do for me? Probably you know, just water. Yancey, um, Yancey's son, as an older man, eventually uh, marries a woman named Ruby, who is a Native yep. American that had been like living in their house and, and helping with chores yep. and, and things like that when dad was away. And at the end of the movie, 
mom, yep. Sa- Sabra. She's um, named after Hamas. Sa- Sabra, who who you know was once pretty racist against Native Americans, is now kind For of sure. turned turned her her opinions around and gotten on the right side of history. But Ruby gets up to give a little speech at this dinner um, <laughs> that's that's honoring Sabra. And it sounds like she's reading off of an eye chart. Like, I I mean, it's the most stilted, awful thing that, that's clearly memorized. And it's like two sentences long. And I can't believe that you couldn't memorize two sentences and say it a little bit better than that at this dinner. Well, and that whole scene, you know, Sabra, the wife, becomes a, a congresswoman. Right. And, and it should be really pivotal in that she's sort of come around and she used to be this horrible racist and, and against Native Americans. And here she is embracing her daughter-in-law. And you're right. The, the daughter-in-law's speech is just sort of crazy. And in fact, Sabra's whole speech is she gets up at this big brunch. She introduces her family, says thanks and sits down. Yeah. And that's all we see. And then we see people saying this was worth the trip from Washington. <laughs> And they're like thanking her for her bravery. I'm like, did we miss another speech? Like, was there like a 20 minute speech they just cut out, or was that it? Because the food this, must have been really good. I know. What's up? But there's a sequence where where Yancey is shooting at the kid in downtown uh, in Oklahoma in their town, and he, the kid and his gang end up killing Isaiah the houseboy. Right. That was. It's rough. very sad because this this this. Black kid runs out. Isaiah runs out to save uh, Yancey and, and Sabra's son. So he's out there trying to save this little boy. He gets shot and dies. And then we f- we see later in the sequence he's not dead yet. And we actually watch we watch Yancey walk away. And you just see the camera's only from waist down. So you only see his feet. And as he walks up the steps and walks past, Isaiah turns and says, Master Yancey, Please help me. And he's alive and he's struggling and he's crawling for his life. And the camera lingers on him as he dies. Like it couldn't be any more disgusting yeah. a portrayal of how little anyone gave a about little Isaiah. Right. Yeah. And I then agree. a second later, Yancey, who's like the Christ figure, is suddenly, even though he's been shot, he's suddenly holding uh, Isaiah and feeling bad about it. It's like, you just stepped over him while he was pleading for you. Yeah. 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 It was, I, I, I was stunned a dozen times in this movie by the racism and just by how overt everything was. This movie is just ludicrous, but totally and- fun. And, and is it maybe the worst aging of lead characters in an epic movie <laughs> yes. ever? Like every at the end of the movie, every supporting character looks like they're at death's door. I mean, they yep. they look like like warmed over corpses. But Yancey and Sabra actually like they got like some white wigs thrown on them to like look like they have gray hair, but they look younger somehow. <laughs> they they actually look like they're de aging. They're Benjamin buttoning this. But. I- <laughs> But I will tell you, there's a moment where when during one of his years long leaves where Yancey has just left, Sabra looks over at this portrait of him they have in their living room and it's a photograph of him. And I said, his photo looks like Raymond Burr got his picture taken by TMZ after he just barfed up chili into his own bathtub. That's how terrible this photo looks, right? It just looks awful. And then a full decade later in the story, he's running for governor, and they use that same photo on his campaign posters. It's like, well, he doesn't look like that anymore. You've aged him with makeup. And that picture still looks 
absolutely crazy. And again, he comes in five years after being gone. He's wearing an army uniform for some reason because apparently he's been fighting. Like he could wear, walk in wearing a pith helmet and assless chaps and it would make just as much sense in this story. Every single scene I laughed out loud. I am stunned. I love this movie. I wish I wish every best picture was this entertaining and gave us this many things to talk and think about. I have 10 more pages of notes we will not get to in this episode. Well, how about instead we do five listener-submitted questions? Let's do it. Let's right. do it. All right. Uh, question number one. This film is an exception, but why do you think the Academy tends to overlook genre-specific films such as comedies, fantasies, and westerns? Oh, that's interesting, given the uh, the conversation we had about The Dark Knight at the beginning yes. uh, of the episode. I think that the... I think the Academy is a bunch of um, artists and filmmakers who think they are, they have the finger on the pulse. And I think that they are often disconnected from what is connecting more popularly. And I think the Academy has tried in the last 10 years to try and remedy that. And I don't know that they've, they've hit the right buttons. I think we keep getting more small independent films like Call Me By Your Name being nominated for Best (laughs) Picture. Uh, question number two. Is Isaiah the long duck dong of 1931? <laughs> he is... I'd say he's the most sad character in the movie, and he probably is, but Ruby is sad. All the Native Americans are sad. Yeah. Saul Levy, the, the, the Jewish character, although I will give him points. At one point, a, 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 uh, a Caucasian snob tells him that one of her... Her ancestors signed the Declaration of Independence, and he says, "Oh, really? That's great." One of my ancestors, Moses, wrote the Ten Commandments. <laughs> Boom! He just like the burn. greatest Jewish burn in cinematic history, right here in 1931. <laughs> that Hilarious. was that was a good line. Uh, question number three: The film and book mistakenly refer to the Cherokee outlet as the Cherokee Strip. Would that name have been better suited for Dixie Lee's Burlesque Club? Probably. Yeah. Did she run a burlesque club? Is that what she did? I don't know. I, I don't it know. was really not clear if she was a hooker or a dancer. Everyone hated her. No one seemed to have any problem with apparently the guys who checked her out. Correct. Hate her for sex. <laughs> right. That wasn't a big deal. But which she you gotta was the wonder problem. about Yancey and if he ever did because he was really worked up. Uh, really. Question number four: The film lost five point five million dollars in nineteen thirty-one, roughly eighty-seven million dollars adjusted for today's dollars. Sure. Yet it won Best Picture. Do you consider that a success? I think there are a number of people in Hollywood who would. Okay. I'm sure RKO Radio Studios considered it a success, right? A huge success. A raging success, right. Final question. Do you think Sabra gave up her racist views to become the first female congresswoman from Oklahoma because no blatantly racist candidate could ever be elected to national office? No, I do not think that. Okay. All right. That's five questions. That's five questions. Thanks, listeners. Thanks for the questions. Man, I I just think I think everyone should see this movie. I feel like it is such a time capsule to the insanity of the time. And I think that its treatment of these main characters and actors was so all over the place. Yeah. Including, I won't even spoil the last two minutes of film because they're almost indescribable. <laughs> 
and you kind of have to live through the first two hours to, to earn two, the two right minutes, to yeah. know what happened in the last two minutes of Cimarron. But I will tell you, people, you won't be disappointed, especially if you're playing that drinking game. You will just down that last shot and just have a great Pass nap out. and think, yeah. this yeah. was a great afternoon spent watching a Best Picture winner. <laughs> but the last two minutes, I won't spoil it. Even on spoiler alert, right. it was that All good. Right. What would you think? Uh, yeah, I, I think that I agree with you. In, in principle, I mean, I did find it to be a little a, a bit of a push. You know, like you said, I was checking my watch 10 minutes in, like, where yeah. are we at quite with this one now? But then something ridiculous like that courtroom scene would happen, and I'd be laughing and laughing and scribbling down notes, and, yeah. and it would dry up for a few minutes, and then something ridiculous would happen again. So uh, it, I think that of all of the the best pictures that we've watched this far this is the most unintentionally funny and and <laughs> I, I don't know sure. if i ever rewatch it again but i definitely agree that i would tell people oh you gotta watch cimarron you're gonna laugh yeah. your ass off yeah 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 and for sure the, the most unintentionally funny but but there were a lot of i mean again technically and from production values and there are a number of reasons why i was really impressed for a 1931 picture they did a lot of things really really well sure. here and, and i do think that at least watching that opening scene one last time to see the guy riding by on the bicycle and like the, the dad punching the kids like behind him. Like I just, yes. I wonder what, what I was going to see out on the frontier next, like, like yes. a blimp swooping down or something. Like yeah. it was so weird. Yeah. And stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. Right. Man, we could do another half-hour episode of just what up, what's up with with on Cimarron. Maybe someday we'll have to do a special, like if we're ever sick and we can't record another episode, we'll just do thirty more minutes of what's minutes. up with Cimarron. Maybe we could t- tackle tag a few more on for the French Connection too. We could. P- we could still <laughs> that'd do be that. great. Yeah. P.S. If any of our listeners know Leslie Jones, tell her she has to watch this movie and live tweet it. <laughs> Please, 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 please. And let me know in advance. I want to be sitting with a bottle of alcohol whilst she live tweets and just take a shot every time because it will be legendary. It'll be great. So undoubtedly, whatever we watch next will not be as funny as this was, at least not as intentionally funny. What are we watching next? Well, those might be words you live to regret because you have chosen that our next movie is Skyscraper featuring... Dwayne Johnson, which does look somewhat unintentionally funny. (laughs) We'll wait and see. We'll wait and see. We'll withhold judgment. Listeners, we can't wait to talk about it with you. And buddy, I can't wait to, uh, to see Skyscraper and talk it over with you. Thanks for listening to the Spoiler Alert podcast. Please visit us online at movieoutsiders.com, where you can see what films we'll be discussing next, comment on our recent episodes, suggest movies to review or topics to discuss, or submit questions for the five questions segment of the podcast. Stop by and visit our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash movieoutsiders, and be sure to follow us on Twitter at movieoutsiders. If you're a fan of the show, we'd really appreciate you leaving a review on iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher, or whatever podcast subscription service you use. We'll be back again next week with another episode, but until then, enjoy the movies.